Last time on Deep Space Nine. You know, every science fiction show needs a The Most Dangerous Game episode. We've had some conversations, you and I, about what we should do in lieu of vetoes. So it would be disingenuous to... It's like I have an aphasia with respect (laughs) to Deep Space Nine, Ben. One thing that has been suggested is some mechanic whereby we get drunk. I love the idea of getting drunk for episodes. <laughs> if I smote you with getting drunk, I would want to get drunk with you. So, yeah. like, the idea would be that we would both drink for the episode. If we put it into a random number generator and we find out whether or not we are getting drunk for an episode. I love that idea. The randomization makes it sound uh, like a landmine, like a drunk <laughs> landmine. And I'm all for it. We need a, a random number between 1 and 15, and uh, I'm going to generate that number now and see if our next episode is the one for which we tie one on. And I'm rolling. <laughs> I, got, I literally got one. What? I'm not kidding. I'm going to send you a screenshot of this right now. No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And now for the conclusion. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain John Picard of the U.S.S. Commander Benjamin Sisko of the Federation Starfleet, Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and are ready to do some drinking. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, when we uh, went during the cliffhanger of our last episode, we had come up with an insane idea for uh, for a, a path forward through Deep Space Nine, a path forward that involved. The constant threat of drunkenness. We really couldn't have fucked this up for ourselves worse, Adam. We are <laughs> we are now going to have to get shithouse drunk, and uh, we didn't have any, any time to get used to the idea. So here's how this is going to go going forward, just to restate, I guess, the rules of the game. Yeah. At the end of every episode, we're going to fire a random number generator for the amount of remaining episodes that there are. I don't think it can and be the number of remaining episodes because then it would be like, like you know, by if we have two left, then we have. See, that's what I was gonna say. Like, do we always do the finale drunk <laughs> if it's if it's one episode left? Like, how how do we actually do that practically? I think I think because we came up with this idea and have fifteen episodes left. Every single time we have a 1 in 15 chance of having a drunk episode next. And oh. Then, and then for next season, it's like whatever the number of episodes, a 1 in that number. Okay. And if we roll a 1, it's sort of like uh, D&D, right? If we roll a 1, that is a critical miss. <laughs> and then, uh, And then we go straight to Drunkville. Right. Okay. So uh, what am I... What I was thinking we might start with is we bought some Mezcal uh, together last time we were both in New York at uh, at my favorite liquor store in the whole wide world, Duke's Liquor Box in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And uh, they said that, I don't want to get them in trouble, but they said that this stuff was, was maybe not exactly imported in the legalist of ways and that it was also very rare. They 
they produced like 45 bottles of this mezcal and 10 of them wound up in New York and two of them wound up in our possession, Adam. Which is, I love, I love liquor with a story. Yeah. And that was very exciting to me. Yeah. So this is called, uh, I think the, the producer is Farolito and each bottle is personally signed by the mescalero that distilled it. So, uh, this is like uh, one of my favorite things I've ever, like one of the most extravagant gifts I've ever gotten myself. Absolutely. Uh, I needed, I you, needed know when you your there bottle... as an extravagance buddy to feel okay about doing it. Ben, I will always be your extravagance buddy. <laughs> but this, uh, I, I think we can say like this is, this is a bottle that the, uh, that the folks that came out to see us on tour really bought for us. This was our little gift to ourselves toward the end of our tour. Yeah, thanks, guys. Two things, actually three things, that uh, that heighten the experience of a rare liquor, Ben. One, a great story. We got that from Dukes. Two, handwritten label, which on the back of my bottle, and I'm sure yours is as well, uh, we have the Maestro Mezcalero's name written in ballpoint pen. Yeah. And three, contact information with a Hotmail email address. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know what you're getting is the good real shit and uh i have had i had a taste of this as soon as the bottle got to me and that was many weeks ago i'm excited to try it again so let's pour a good serving into our hickoras and then start our episode today ben our episode is season one episode five captive pursuit cheers to you buddy chin chin A very upsetting open to this episode, given all of the terrible stuff in the news about Harvey Weinstein. We get a a complaint from one of the women that works in Quark's bar about Quark v. Weinstein. When did you start to have trouble with Quark? About five minutes after I got off the ship. And uh, kind of true to the, the darker nature of Deep Space Nine, doesn't seem like Quark is going to get much of a punishment. <laughs> he wrote a sexual harassment like a pro-sexual harassment clause into all of his employees contracts and uh and the solution to this in cisco's mind is i'm gonna go down there and get him to not enforce that part of the contract there's a sort of wordplay happening in this scene ben where uh you know ben cisco is like accepting the accusation of the Dabo girl and then sort of referring to the contract as stated and then get in, getting interrupted as he gets to the point that talks specifically about what sex, what sex acts she's supposed to perform on him. Yeah. Like every time he's interrupted by her once and then he's interrupted later by uh, a communique from, uh, from the bridge. Ben, I keep calling it the bridge, but it's not. What do they call it on the show? <laughs> they call it ops. Ops. Which is just yeah, one can... one desk on the bridge of a of a starship, but it's the whole damn thing on a space station. And th- on the space station, it doesn't recline. <laughs> well, I guess in the 24th century, as in the 21st century, uh, w- women's complaints about the uh, rapey advances of scummy men uh, go ignored. <laughs> that is like not something that we pick up 
ever again in this episode. After I talk to Quark, he won't hold you or anyone else to this provision concerning the exchange. Commander, sensors are picking up elevated neutrino readings. Cisco goes out into the op section and they're getting some indication that a an unknown ship, an, an UFO, is coming through the wormhole. And uh, Ben, it's so fucked up before we end that part that like we get we get coffee bookends in Babel with O'Brien. <laughs> Gotta tie up that coffee bookend yeah. uh, in the last scene of the last episode, and I yeah. was fully expecting the harassment thing to be, you know, quote unquote, resolved at the end of this episode. Uh, spoiler alert: it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think that like that is sort of the issue that people are trying trying to get everyone to confront is that that is what passed for resolving a harassment issue. For a long, long, long time. You know, what's interesting to me is how little issues of this type are brought up in the Star Trek universe, a place that is a melting pot of different cultures and norms and stuff. Right. You would think there would be all sorts of uh, unfortunate groping and and masturbation happening <laughs> on the station, you know? like. Like, aliens are involved, right? How different can you be? Yeah. Oh, like, I touched my knees, and that's where I keep my genitals. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) He thought he was just, uh, he he thought he was just putting a creepy hand on your knee. (laughs) Right. Ben, as we get to ops, it looks like the station has developed a real casual Friday vibe. You know, like, the front zips are sort of zipped to where maybe your second shirt button would be. And a lot of people have, like, rolled up sleeves and stuff. I never even considered the fact that this is a show with all front zips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. It makes me wonder if that's sort of a subtle nod to the looseness of command that Cisco may have over everyone. Like, this is not a uniform dress, you know, to the letter of the code sort of place. Now everybody knows that backsips are the more elite members of any crew. What Deep Space Nine presupposes is, what if it was all front zips? In the land of the front zips, the single backsip is king. <laughs> it's the it's the bad news bears of Star Trek shows. Yeah, it really is. They get this guy on the FaceTime who's uh, coming through the wormhole. It is a starship design that is unfamiliar to them. And uh, up on the screen comes a green alien. And I feel like I have a theory that uh, we will have a chance to test over many years, but uh, I feel like Star Trek gets its green aliens out of its system in the first season or two. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of green aliens after this guy uh, in, uh, in this series. And I feel like I there, just were, think... there were some like green fish versus dog aliens in TNG, but then, like, everybody's pretty much, like, different browns and grays after that. If you're gonna make a green alien, I think you need to make a weird green alien, and not just another derivative version of the enemy mine alien, which is what this guy looks like. He looks like halfway between enemy mine and the crocodile guy from Suicide Squad. I would have to have seen Suicide Squad to get that reference, Ben. (laughs) Tell me you didn't pay full price to see that at the Americana. I uh, I saw that on the back of a airplane seat screen. Uh, 
as the director intended the film to be seen. That Jared Leto is a thought crime. <laughs> also, also just a weird missed opportunity to have this guy look like a crocodile, but have an ostrich leather suit. He looks, he looked for a moment like he wasn't wearing any clothes at all <laughs> because his clothes look so closely like his skin. Yeah, they're very tailored. It's the equivalent of if you were to wear a bodysuit that was flesh colored. Mm-hmm. It's a little disturbing. Looks like he might be uh, walking around naked. Well, old boy's ship is in bad shape and they offer to beam him out before it explodes and he refuses categorically to abandon his ship. I will not abandon my vessel. Sir, your ship is in danger. I will not leave. So they come up with what seems like a better solution that they may have considered first if uh, <laughs> if I was in charge, which is, oh, we'll do a tractor beam and shore up his structural issues and, and bring him in on board his own ship safely. Like, this is the first time they're meeting anybody from the other side of the wormhole. So, like, it... it I wouldn't necessarily beam that guy directly into the command center first thing. Not at all. I think I think the crew of Deep Space Nine has has received different instructions on what first contact should be. <laughs> they're really kind of winging it. Yeah. Well, they they say at one point like they're like I think uh, O'Brien is going to like head down and help him wrench on his ship and and uh, they're like so just like no first contact. Th- stuff this time yeah like we'll 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 deal with that later it's so weird how the federation delegates resources in their territory because you know who are the people who typically make first contact it's like galaxy class starships on the furthest reaches of space yeah like categorically deep space nine qualifies as that sort of importance because it's right next to this wormhole out of which any number of new species could come. I could see there being they, like an officer that is specially tasked with this job stationed on the station. Anything more than the eight Federation people who work there, <laughs> I think, I think would be a good amount of manpower. Let's send the handyman down. Yeah, we'll have O'Brien do this. <laughs> a, a, a man who is used to spending hours and hours by himself. Do you think they He's not going to be socially weird. Do you think that they looked at this guy's loaf when he got on the FaceTime and they were like, that's a dead ringer for one-off loaf. We can send O'Brien to to meet this guy. That's some pretty dangerous loaf stereotyping, Ben. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. So he goes down there and he's like poking around in the ship. And uh, there's nobody there. It's uh, it's unoccupied. And and up on up in ops, they're like, um, yeah. I mean, sensors say that there's somebody there, chief. So <laughs> maybe you've uh, got some aftershocks from your aphasia virus or something. Keep being alone on an alien ship, O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, keep like being alone with your head stuck through an access panel, so you can't see if anybody's coming up behind you. It's so insane. Very weird. Very, very weird. I mean, nice to... Do you think they want him to die? Like, is this a subtle, maybe this is a way we can get rid of of O'Brien situation here? (laughs) I mean, after the last episode, I feel like they would be really heartless if they don't just take pity on O'Brien. Maybe they really, really like coffee, and they do not think it's funny that it's so bad at at the station. (laughs) 
Well, he is like halfway toward diagnosing the issue when uh, this alien sort of appears out of nowhere behind him and uh, and starts and it starts making suggestions. And O'Brien has a great like bang his head against the undercarriage of the ship take when uh, he realizes that he's been snuck up on. <laughs> the Calibrium oh. bow has been damaged. O'Brien is, on the one hand, the worst person for this mission, but on the other hand, like in a vacuum, just has a naturally friendly carriage about him that is very non-threatening. That, like, you know, and and his bumbling here is sort of works in a diplomatic favor, you know? Yeah. This guy doesn't know anything about him, but he's so much of a goof that... Like, you're not going to be threatened by him. He can make friends with anybody that walks into the local pub, you know? He's not picky. He's not uh, He's not a snob. He's just a, just a regular guy down to have a conversation with anybody. And that, right. that makes him uh, accessible, even to an alien. Right. Uh, we get to know that this guy is Tusk. And that seems to be the, like, his species category and his name and everything that anybody could care to know about him. Right. Uh, O'Brien introduces himself, and uh, they talk over the possibility of repairing the ship. His ship appears to run off of blue Radio Shack police lights also, (laughs) which is like a form of power that is many, many years in the past Mm -hmm. to the crew of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Ben, did you ever get one of those uh, police lights from Radio Shack and go driving around with it? I never went driving around with it. I think I had one for a long time that I used as a, a special effects lighting in a music video. But I don't have oh, it yeah. anymore. Unforch. Gotta tell you, me and a buddy had one of these in high school <laughs> and uh and experienced its power on a drive one night in a way that uh that was profoundly illegal <laughs> in a way that I'm uncomfortable admitting on the show. Man. Like, it it really works. No one should have these or use them, FYI. Like, like the caveat being, don't do that. That's dumb. My parents are part of their neighborhood club that assembles items for earthquake preparedness. And uh, I was at, uh, in high school, I, I discovered that a bullhorn was in the trunk of my father's car when I borrowed it to go to school one day. <laughs> and I... Uh, I took it upon myself to stand in the parking lot after school for like 45 minutes directing traffic and like making ridiculous demands of people. And uh, I have a very vivid memory of like the coolest kid in the grade ahead of me sitting in his BMW, like laughing hysterically and thinking, God, he thinks this is such a great bit. And then like realizing like many years later, like, oh, he was laughing at what an idiot I was. (laughs) Right. <laughs> My high school buddy, Dan, was a really uh, frequent shopper of Radio Shack. <laughs> and he was the first friend of mine who had uh, cobbled together a home theater system in his bedroom. Like, he was that guy. Oh, he, he was he, the Ferris he, Bueller of the group. I asked for a car, I got a computer. How's that for being born under a bad sign? Yeah, he got the blue police light, and he also had the speaker mounted under the bumper of his car, which was an old, early 80s 320i. Man. And 
one of the one of the most fun things we did with the speaker was um we really liked the movie true lies at the time oh sure and uh there's a moment in that movie where Schwar- where schwarzenegger uh having discovered the true goals of the antagonists announces that this is a bright point alert a bright point alert <laughs> And uh, the bright point alert was a thing that we used to announce all the time on the car-mounted PA system. Fun. <laughs> well, uh, they walk into the promenade area of Deep Space Nine, and Tosk is um, just as just as blown away by um, everything he sees as he is by O'Brien. Like he's um, He's inquisitive and he like doesn't know how close to stand to people. Like if if he's interested in somebody, he walks up and like, you know, chest almost touching them, like head cocking to the side and back as he uh, as he explores their visage. Uh, yeah. He, speaking of people with no boundaries. Yeah. He cannot wrap his mind around what Deep Space Nine is. What is its purpose? Purpose. Defense. Surveillance. Cisco asks O'Brien for his take on him. Even though O'Brien has no professional qualifications and his judgment <laughs> has no credibility, like he's sort of he's sort of point man W slash R slash T Tosk. Yeah, Cisco in a never weird like, way. like it's not a temporary himself. thing. Yeah. It's it's not temporarily go go figure out what's rattling around on that ship. It's like figure out the ship but also be this guy's uh, guardian while he's here. Like this episode might as well be like cutting back and forth between O'Brien showing Tosk around and repairing his ship uh, and Cisco sitting in his office playing solitaire on his desk. Right. <laughs> like what is Cisco doing? This like, is the first alien you're meeting from the other side of the wormhole, 90,000 90, light years away or whatever. Great leaders delegate, but what, what, isn't said in that statement is great leaders delegate well. <laughs> One thing we learn in this is that the wormhole has been super busy. Like, like O'Brien is telling Tosk about like the the function that Deep Space Nine serves as this hub between this part of the galaxy and the other. And he's saying like like five six ships a week. Sometimes convoys go through the wormhole. Like a ton of traffic is going through the wormhole, and. Uh, it is amazing to me that this is the first time they've encountered anybody from the other side. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, and I also want to see a convoy. Yeah, where's the convoy at? What are they doing? What are they? What are they conveying? Give me that sweet, sweet convoy footage. Deep Space Nine, Caravanserai of the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be alive on Deep Space Nine. Sure is. This incredulity and inquisitiveness that Task displays is something he maintains for days. <laughs> like, it's implied that, like, a bunch of time is passing as they, like, work on repairing his ship, diagnosing the problem, him researching where to get weapons on the station, him, him and O'Brien going down to Quark's bar, and, like, everywhere he goes, everyone he meets is, like, weird, uncomfortable, too close standing, asking questions that seem insane... Fucking O'Brien, like, escorts him to his quarters and is like, well, I'm going to go sleep for eight hours. And Tosk is like, wait, like, that's not what I do. What am I supposed to do? And O'Brien's like, beats me. See ya. Like, 
it it is insane to me that he just leaves him alone. Yeah. And sure as shit, as soon as O'Brien leaves Tosk alone, Tosk goes up to a computer and he's like, hey, uh, computer, where are the weapons at? Where are them guns? Not great. No, not not super, super great. This episode, Adam, I feel like could use some B story. Like, we make fun of this yeah. these shows sometimes for having, like, too many too many layered stories. This this really has, like, an A story, and that's it. And I don't think that the A story has enough meat on the bone. Here's why that's important. Because without a B story to cut back and forth from, you're left with... You're left with the time and the ability to pick apart the A story and why it's so insane. (laughs) Like, in many ways, like, a B story does a lot of weight carrying because it's a distraction, right? You don't see the warts of the A story while you're in the B story. And sometimes it can be a nice way to, like, thematically counterbalance the A story. Right. In this, uh, we, we, like... The only time we're away from Tosk, it's when O'Brien is like up in ops getting asked a million questions by everybody about the guy that has has uh, become his best buddy. Yeah, and O'Brien is talking about him like he's a puppy. Like, like oh, he's, he's clearly not a threat because he doesn't know anything. Yeah. But like, what the fuck does O'Brien know? Yeah. Like, but- O'Brien's exposure to aliens is 10 seconds after beaming them on board the Enterprise and then what he's able to overhear is they walk out of the transporter room. Yeah, making a wisecrack about their weird barrel of fish. <laughs> uh, Tosk is a weird alien, too. Like, he doesn't need to sleep that much, and he doesn't need to eat even. <clears throat> and, uh, and and he has no vices. He has no vices. Uh, yeah, Cork. Uh, what it. if Tosk started smoking cigarettes? Like, <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> I'm going to stand here and watch you smoke every one of those cigarettes. Then maybe you'll learn. It would be great if he had picked up a vice. I think that'd be so fun. I live the greatest adventure one could ever desire. Tosk is uh, trying to break into the weapons locker, and the camera pans very intensely over to a painting that looks like a eighth grader did it. And the painting starts melting, and uh, it turns out that uh, Constable Odo was planning a stakeout and catches Tosk red-handed trying to steal phasers and such. Ben, I so wanted to pan over to the painting and have the painting have eyes, like that (laughs) old-timey picture with the eye holes. What if it had panned over and it was that painting of the horse playing the saxophone, (laughs) and the horse's eye was was panning around? This leads me to another question. Like, when he takes the shape of something else, is the whole thing eyes? <laughs> How is he able to see if he doesn't have eyes in the thing that he's become? Yeah. You know what I mean? He seems to have a sensory apparatus, but it's unclear how it works. It would be great if, in order to surveil, he had to have eyes on whatever object it was. <laughs> and so, like, in the last episode, Cork's. Uh, beverage cart like has googly eyes on the front <laughs> or the painting here has that saxophone horse with eyes and Odo always just keeps a a packet of self-adhesive googly eyes in his pocket and puts them on things all over the station as he walks around just to keep people on their toes like I know it's cool to keep us in suspense on on the rules of Odo <laughs> but 
I think this is a pretty big this is a pretty big thing to to reconcile. Like how does he work functionally? Yeah. People should know that on the ship. You don't want to work with a guy that that you don't know where his eyes are. Yeah, can you not sneak up behind Odo? Here's a, here's a idea, Ben. Like if you let's say you're Ben Cisco <laughs> and you get assigned to Deep Space 9 and you're very dramatic in all of your interactions. <laughs> okay. And you're working and you're working with Kira and the constable and all the Bajoran you know, delegates that work on the station. Don't you have to set up ground rules for Odo? Like, Odo, here's the thing. You cannot become a paperweight on my desk. Like <laughs> the rule is the rule is you 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 must announce yourself before being in my room or whatever. Don't there have to be rules like that for him? I think so. I mean maybe like maybe like go on a date and come home and be uh getting into some some intimate fun times and then realize like I don't remember having a potted plant in that corner. Odo's your condom? How'd you like to roll on Odo? Oh, no! (laughs) Gross. That would be awful. But, like, wouldn't you be paranoid all the time? Yeah. I would be. Yeah. And, uh... I think, uh... I think think there has to be some ground rules here. Gotta be some Odo ground rules. This is more fast and loose Ben Sisko as commander of the station. I think that the most ridiculous part of Tosk is that anytime they ask him a question that would illuminate like what he was running from when he went into the wormhole or like why he's so skittish or why he was trying to break into the gun locker as uh, he just says, I cannot discuss it. And this winds up getting revealed to be like he took some sort of vow of secrecy uh, with his uh, with the uh, with the other species from his planet. And it's just like. This is like a, another example of why we need a B storyline, <laughs> like, like, or come up with a better reason for why he's not te- he's not talking more, you know, or a competent security man. <laughs> like, why does this shit fly here? Yeah, even Worf would lock him in his quarters and interrogate him. Yeah, and Worf was terrible at security. Well, it is not long after Tosk is thrown into the brig for trying to steal guns that another similar but different ship comes through the wormhole, and they uh, they take a lot more defensive of a posture with these guys, and they even like raise the shields. But these guys have an ability to uh, reverse the polarization on Deep Space Nine's defense shields, and. Three guys beam onto the promenade in bright red war costumes. They're dressed for 70s Battlestar Galactica cosplay. Yeah, like if you gave the people that did the Flash Gordon movie the task of designing the Predator, (laughs) this is what they would have come up with. That is spot on. Uh, this is like an invasion force for all anybody can tell. Like they're they're walking around, they're shooting. There's like an incredibly lethargic firefight on the promenade where, you know, like basically every character from the show is down there uh, shooting phasers and like trying to bullseye these guys. Did you ever feel like the 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 station was threatened existentially though? Like I didn't get the sense that these guys were murdering people in a way that maybe they they should have been yeah like the well that's what's so weird is like they come in and there's a firefight where like all of the all of the senior staff and and the entire security 
detail are like are like shooting these guys and they're they're getting shot they're falling off of uh catwalks on the second level of the promenade like shit is getting torn apart and yet like the way this the the shots are framed the way the scene is cut together there's like zero suspense zero seeming stakes in this firefight and uh and like conveniently everybody that needs to be in the scene runs into the into the brig and uh and discovers the one guy that made it past the firefight talking to Tosk and he takes off his his helmet and he's kind of like Tosk if he had had a better dermatologist when he was 16 Ben, as soon as he took off his helmet, the first thought that went to my mind was, he's got a puppy nose. <laughs> well, Tosk does too. Like, they have the same nose. It's just that Tosk is way bumpier on the rest of his face. One of the reasons I never felt like these guys were a threat is because they look like college mascots for a college whose mascot is a future robot or something. <laughs> like, big giant metal head, red suit, big silver vinyl boots yeah, like little blinky lights everywhere <laughs> they look cheap yeah. in a way that the rest of the show doesn't in a way that tosk doesn't yeah that's so weird like tosk is not an inspired makeup job but at least the makeup is like very well executed the idea here is that these guys are hunters and they hunt guys like tosk but in every other depiction of a hunter hunted race the hunted looks less threatening than the hunters, and these hunters don't look threatening at all. Yeah, like this guy's got like a beer gut and looks like he's, you know, wasting a career in middle management and like hates his wife and kids, you know? He yeah. just looks like a middle-aged shithead. <laughs> really disappointing. <laughs> Gold to cut. The cut. Gold to cut. These guys have beamed onto the station without permission, ripped a bunch of uh, uh, shots off at senior staff and the security detail. Uh, they should be just as locked up as Tosk is, but instead, <laughs> the commander is like, well, let's discuss this with these guys. The conversation they have basically goes nowhere. They're in Cisco's ready room, and this hunter explains the deal, the deal that... You know, these Tosk guys are, are bred to be hunted. It's totally noble. Everything's on the up and up here. And also, talk to the Michael Jackson glove. I'm not trying to hear you anymore. <laughs> God fucking damn it. I have that exact same thing written down in my notes. <laughs> Cisco is totally impotent throughout this entire episode. Like, he does not make one good decision. It's like the thing and he we totally were, gets overrun by everyone. It's like what we were talking about with like all the different like cultural differences that you would have to confront at the station. Right. Like he is being incredibly accommodating of Quark's wanting to uh take sexual liberties with his female employees, but well, I guess I guess it's actually on brand. He's also being incredibly accommodating of the guys that want to have a firefight on the promenade because it's part of their cultural tradition. <laughs> I don't get how you get to be a commander while being that accommodating. Yeah. We saw the commander test that Troy took. Yeah. Like like how does how does how does Cisco pass that test? <laughs> He's like maybe maybe the warp core should blow up because 
That's what the warp core wants, man. I don't know, Jordy. Do you want to go fix the warp core and die in the process? <laughs> Tell me. If that's what you want to do, you should go do it. Yeah. But only if it's something you want to do. <laughs> Not here to make enemies. He's sort of like the cool substitute teacher guy. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pass judgment about your culture, which uh, is largely centered around killing sentient beings. Uh, you got, you can, you can take your guy and go home. And uh, and what we've gotten from these hunter guys is that Tosca's is gonna go home to a life of ignominy, where children can make fun of you, toss you scraps of food, which is more than you deserve. <laughs> He has shamed uh, his entire species in allowing himself to be captured by the crew on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, poor Task. Doesn't sound great. No. He seems pretty understanding about this fate, though. He's like, yeah, I fucked up. <laughs> I shouldn't be in this jail. I blew it by going in the wormhole big time. Yeah. I think that uh, the thing that they they don't count on is uh, what good friends Task and Chief O'Brien have become. Because O'Brien takes off his badge and uh, he's walking uh, the hunter and Tosk to the exit of the promenade, which is not really clear why they would be going there because these guys beamed in uh, in the first place. But uh, but uh, they're going out one of the airlocks and the door zaps the hunter and like knocks him knocks him back and the chief even throws a punch and knocks the guy unconscious and he and Tosk are like racing through the station running away and the hunter <laughs> has one of those has one of those great scenes where he like he like gets up off the ground and like shakes it out a little bit and he's he uh, gets on his communicator and says the hunt has resumed <laughs> i had to play this back a couple of times did you hear the sound of o'brien's punch to the hunter's face oh it was the shittiest foley punch sound i've ever heard was it like i stole a cd of of foley sounds like from my last job and this is the only punch on the cd like i i can totally forgive the overly loud foley punch that sounds like a garbage can being pushed, being thrown down some stairs <laughs> like i love a cartoonish foley punch but this sounded like nothing yeah it sounded like Play-Doh being dropped on the floor. Like there was nothing there. Glass jaw. Now I know why you wear a helmet. You got to give O'Brien a better sounding punch, man. Yeah, this is one of the stars of the show. He's got to have a great punch sound. So there's sort of a foot chase around the station. And the foot chase is O'Brien's... much more exciting than the earlier firefight, I'll, right. I want to say. Like there's like crawling around in the Jeffries tubes and there's... And there's uh, there's shooting and there's punching and up in ops like they realize what's going on. They realize that Chief O'Brien has taken off his com badge and you know slapped it on a bulkhead so that they won't know where he is. And um, Odo is like rip shit. He's like champing at the bit. He says like Let me at him, boss. Like I want to I want to nab these guys before before they get out. And and Cisco's like eh, maybe uh, you know take your time with that. Like. <laughs> Don't uh, don't make a make it your most pressing issue. Turn yourself into something slow moving, <laughs> and then head that way. <laughs> maybe it maybe it'd be interesting if they were taken into custody by a sloth, <laughs> an adorable three toed sloth from the jungles of Costa Rica. 
How long would it take a tree to get there? I don't know. <laughs> let's find out. Let's let's use this as an opportunity for science. Yeah, and, and Odo just sort of slinks his way to the turbo lift, <laughs> waits four beats, and then hits the elevator button. They definitely they definitely are like like I could just see like the the assistant director just off screen doing the stretch it out hand motion, right. like like he's stretching out taffy, like like yeah. like just just let it ride, oh, Renee. Just let it ride. <laughs> <laughs> We could use as much time. We do not have a B story to cut to, so just fucking milk this moment for all it is worth. Rene Abergenois, a great actor. <laughs> he killed millions of Germans, but yet we forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> so they're nearly escaped, and uh, they're like in a hallway, and the Flash Gordon predators beam in. And uh, the one that we've met, the one that's taken his helmet off, is still got helmet off, and uh, they start licking shots. And O'Brien is start gonna gonna return fire, and Tosk is like, "No, man, it's got to be me. I've got to be the one <laughs> that returns fire." It like knocks knocks his dustbuster down, raises his uh, his Erzatz Chewy from Star Wars laser crossbow, and takes out the hunter. Yeah. All three hunters in one shot. Sort of an impossible shot, if you ask me. (laughs) How does he do it? Yeah, he's just that good. He's trained his whole life for this. Yeah. And that's like like maybe the only interesting idea in this episode is like, what if the prey is genetically engineered to like so identify with being prey that that's what he wants to be? Like it's kind of the thing that sucks about Seru in Star Trek Discovery is like like we've gotten like three really impassioned speeches from Seru at this point about how he is a prey animal on his planet and his people have uh fear boners for a reason and he uh like and that's like all we've gotten like that's all we know about Seru <laughs> at this point Tosk like uh, it, it, it like presents an interesting question. Like they genetically engineered him to be smart, but also to want to be hunted, and it's also like a a it's like a job that gives him like a sense of purpose in in life. Like his his being captured in ignominy uh, brings great shame on him, and so. Like we can, well, Ben. We, the thing that really didn't work for me, and this is something I, I'll probably talk a little bit more at the end of the episode, which is like, I wanted to be impressed by Tosk. Like, I wanted him to be really good at being prey. Right. But as soon as he's captured, he sucks. What, like, what you want? From why did he is escape the, from prison or something? Yeah. What you want is is that like super soldier vibe from that episode right. of TNG, where the guy is like, yeah. like taking on fourteen security officers in the in the hallway and beating them all to a pulp. That's what I wanted. But instead he acted like a guy in laser tag who had been shot and who was like walking his way back to <laughs> like the locker room area. Like, cause the game is over. Like the game should never be over to him. And he gives up so easily that that was really, that I think took a lot of the juice out of the episode, his give up nature. If he was bred to be prey and to be sporting prey, I thought he would be more sporting than this. Like, he should be cheating and willing to cheat. It's like that kind of... There's like a span of like 20 episodes of TNG where Worf is living with 
this commendation and every time a Klingon comes on board the ship, he has to like put his tail between his legs and slink off. Yeah, and that's what Tosca's doing here. He's 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 patacking around. Yeah, he's really he's really a major patak at, at most points of this episode. Right. I really like that uh, that early nineteen nineties show uh, starring Gerald McRaney called uh, Major Patak. <laughs> you like no? that one, huh? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves a Gerald McRaney reference. <laughs> Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, the foremost source for Gerald McRaney humor. <laughs> I think there may have been some Gerald McRaney jokes on a recent Stuff You Should Know. Oh, really? They did like a two-episode arc on The Simpsons that was great, and it was a lot of fun to listen to, and I think they made a lot of fun of, of Major Tad. <laughs> Well, that was that was an unintentional reference then. Maybe I was. Maybe they didn't actually, and I, I'm just like imagining what when the mics are off, Josh and Chuck would say about Major Dan. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever ever wondered that, uh, you don't have to wonder any longer because you're hearing Ben and I talk about it right now. <laughs> I I could see there being like maybe like a great Max Fun Max Fun Drive. A uh, special episode would be us calling up Josh and Chuck and getting their frankest opinions about Major Dad. <laughs> we'll just cover a random Major Dad episode for the pledge drive. <laughs> the Majorist Generation. Is this too Egyptian for a Seder? Yes, I think my accessories are a little too major for you. Just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. hypnotic. O'Brien helps Tosk get onto his dinky little ship. Uh, Tosk uh, tucks his crossbow up into the uh, overhead compartment where I guess his sunglasses would normally go. And uh, they say kind of a kind of a like a game recognized game goodbye like respect knuckles yeah there's a moment here where Tosk is like hey bud you coming with that was pretty kick ass back there the way you handled yourself in the hallway like <laughs> maybe you can come come along with me yeah he says like you're together. you're now a Tosk also and O'Brien's like oh that's cool I you know I got a I got a couple of Tosks the wife needs me to take care of back home so <laughs> He's sort of like that that husband who goes out drinking with the boys uh, for the first time in a long time, and, and the boys are like, man, you got to do this more often. We, we're having a blast right now. And he's like, no, I, I really can't make this a habit, guys. I got a, I got a wife and kids. I got a wife and two girlfriends on the side, man. I'm a busy man. I feel like if, if O'Brien's being really true to his character, I think he gives this more of a thought than we really see here. Yeah. Like, this is his, this is his chance what, to escape Ben. What would it like what would have taken this episode from a solid C minus to a solid A plus is just like one little cut in when Tosk suggests this at the end just like a, an ECU on O'Brien's face and just seeing <laughs> seeing the potential of that wash over him. <laughs> like it would have all been worth it. <laughs> 
There's time for that. Yeah. Just give us two seconds of an ECU there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Udo taking a fraction less time to get on the elevator, <laughs> and you get that one little cut. It would have been amazing. The button on the episode is O'Brien in Cisco's office, and uh, he is getting a major ass-chewing. It's a major ass-chew until O'Brien puts the ass puts the chew on the other ass <laughs> by being oh like, slip hey. the title in under the wire adam very nicely done like ben cisco uh didn't you have the opportunity to to send odo down to to help wrangle the guy so that i wasn't caught out there like by myself <laughs> like didn't you have didn't you have some delegating that you could have done to bring this guy to justice doesn't this station have a staff <laughs> And then Cisco totally fucking cops to it. Yeah. Why does he cop to it? Like, why make the show of chewing the ass if you're going to also admit that you were just chewing the ass for show? I know. And all this does, Ben, is like, how does O'Brien ever respect Cisco's authority again after this? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in that and also say... Like, the idea of bending and breaking rules is fully on the table from here on out, right? Yeah. Because O'Brien does it earlier and throughout the episode and goes unpunished. Cisco admits to a subordinate that he's done so. Like, are you got people unzipping their uniforms to the second button and rolling up their sleeves throughout the station. <laughs> what is going on here? There are no rules on the station. <laughs> The inmates are running the asylum. I truly believe that O'Brien could be a chaos agent for the rest of the series. And I don't remember enough about this series to know whether or not that happens. But the possibilities are there. Yeah. I could get behind that. Did you like this episode, Adam? Here's the thing. I really like the episode if it is the introduction to O'Brien being the chaos agent that that I have a feeling he will not become. Like, <laughs> the idea of this station being outside of the grasp of the Federation, like sort of Federation in name only, mm. is really interesting to me. And it's something that I hope that they pay off from time to time, if not all the time. But this episode as it is, is fairly derivative of a number of stories of this kind, sure. both in science fiction and, you know, in a lot of places. Yeah. And it didn't do it in a particularly better or more interesting way than any of those other places that you could experience the story. So I would say that I did not like the episode. Like if you're going mean, to remix a song, you want it to be like either just a way better version of the song or a totally interesting take on the song that, right. that makes you consider it in a new and interesting way. This is not Colomini's fault. It's not the guy who plays Tusk's fault. Like, it's a very well-acted episode. Yeah, Colomini is actually, like, pretty great in this episode. And I thought that he was a little weak in the previous episode. Like, it's For as much screen time as he got, too. Like, he's been a major focus two times in a row. Yeah. Like, like I feel like in the previous episode, when he's, like, speaking nonsense, he's great. And, like, when he's speaking coherent sentences, it's like somebody has handed him a note card with what his line is going to be in the next scene. And he's like, fuck, yeah. like, I have to memorize this right now. 
he's just really put off by it yeah and that informs his performance <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well adam uh one thing that never puts us off is priority one messages procured by our viewers do you want to check and see what we have in store let's do it <laughs> priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Paul. It is for Ben and Adam. Yes, you too. And I guess by that he means us too, Ben. Oh, man. It's for us. Yay. Message goes like this, everyone. Always said a Star Trek podcast would be too embarrassing to be funny. <laughs> but what this show presupposes is maybe it's not. I grew up watching TNG, and you guys have given me a new way to look at one of my favorite shows. Found the podcast in July, binged the whole thing, and wish I'd found it sooner. Keep up the funny. Uh, Thanks. That's great. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, I love it when people binge the whole thing. I really can't imagine what that's like. (laughs) It's like like the nicest thing to hear in the whole wide world. It really is. I... I mean, that's not to say that I dislike hearing it at all. It's just I don't understand it. I've heard my voice. I know what it sounds like. Can't be great. And I've heard your voice too, Ben. Yeah, not good. Not winning any any awards for that one. No. Um, our next priority one message is from Yogi, your husband, your potato salad. And it is for Boo Boo, my husband, my macaroni salad. It goes like this, Adam. Boo-boo, and now you too have been schismed. With a P1. Thanks for introducing me to this pod and for listening with me through the seasons, even if we are listening at different times in different places. I wonder if Ben and Adam will enjoy all these carbs again. I love you. Happy birthday. May all your Shimodas be drunk. I love being a part of a great couple's celebration. We're like the healthy part of a balanced breakfast bin. I feel bad because this is real belated. This was supposed to be as close to September 30 as possible. And uh, in their note, they said, you can take a Razor Plevim message away for this one. (laughs) Oh, man, I wish we had. (laughs) I feel like Raz and Plevim would be cool with that, but it is... Like, we go through enough, like, headaches, just schedule it. Like, scheduling these is, like, surprisingly difficult. And, uh, and, uh, uh, uh so, anyway, sorry for the very belated birthday message, boo-boo, but, uh, happy Hope birthday. it's a great one. Yeah, it was... Happy birthday. That was, that was one of the great PM, P1s, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's practically tradition at this point for, uh... The salads of potato and macaroni. Yeah, it sure is. Um, well, if you would like to uh, start your own tradition, you could go ahead over to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron. Uh, it is 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and it really helps the production of our program. Thanks, guys. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanagra. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. I sure did, Ben. I think the most the most Shimoda moment of the episode is the fucking crack shot that Tosk takes <laughs> at the main hunter guy. 
<laughs> that somehow hits the other two hunters. Like, it's like he picks up a spare in that hallway with that single shot. It makes no sense that his single <laughs> shot knocks down all of them. They fall down like so many bowling pins, like basically on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It is complete bullshit. <laughs> Tosk, sh- Tosk should have shot three times. Why didn't he? Yeah, a single shot. Like, does that a single shot doesn't make any sense in that context? Like, can he not go pew pew pew? Does it have to recharge like a like a disposable camera flash or something? Or like shoot twice and then beat the shit out of the third guy with the butt of your weird crossbow? Like, like vary it up a little bit with the melee combat. <laughs> It would have been a lot more fun if there had been some more compound fight scenes in this episode. Like, all the fight scenes, like, this is a much more exciting fight scene than the, like, 18-person shootout on the promenade. Right. And still, like, it would have been ten times better if it had been, like, like shoot somebody to cause chaos at the other end of the hallway and then bum-rush them or, like, or, like, he and he and O'Brien like crisscross shooting and and like closing in like like fucking Navy SEALs in a dark hallway at midnight. They seem far more willing to go hand to hand in next gen, and it makes me wonder if it's still like a division of resources thing at this point between the two shows. Yeah, like if your if your stunt choreographer is still working across the street, like. You're just gonna be the pew pew show <laughs> in, until TNG ends, you know. Maybe that's how it went. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ben? I forget. What's the question? What's your drunk Shimoda? <laughs> Did you already say my my drunk Shimoda is Task also, and I give it to him not for that fight scene, but for the level of incredulity he maintains for days and days <laughs> like i i just found it very very hilarious and shimoda like that like they they're like two days in with him and he's still close talking people asking uh ridiculous questions and just like he he maintains the same d- demeanor the entire time like he never relaxes into these are just chill people who aren't trying to hunt me i feel like the core component to any fish out of water story is the unexpected interest in a thing that everyone else thinks is normal that they like that they over consume right what they should have done is had him like love replicator coffee or something you know that's what i'm saying play with the thing from the last episode this is deep space nine we can do these kinds of things tosk is like you mean you can get bean dip out of the replicator like (laughs) and as much as you want of it like tosk was from tosk was from the delta quadrant (laughs) and he had a hunger on for bean dip what he didn't realize was in the alpha quadrant a little so-and-so named Chief O'Brien was ready to replicate up as much bean dip as Task wanted. <laughs> Coming this summer. <laughs> they seem willing to make fun with Task about about his his fish out of waterness without willing to fully make fun of him in a way that I feel like is satisfying for a story of this type. They they just sort of half half ass him a little bit. Like 
if you're doing it and like I think the like the like most storied example of this in sci-fi is Stranger in a Strange Land. Like right. have there be some things about his culture that are interesting and compelling. Like 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 blow our minds a little bit. Like come up with a a moray or a word or an idea that is like cool and new that he can be like all about. You know? I don't I just don't grok why they didn't do that. Yeah, I don't either. It's it's like they had a B story here that was just fully expunged. <laughs> it's weird. Ben, what do we have coming up for the next episode? The next episode is season one, episode six, QLS. The irrepressible yes. Fuck off. The irrepressible Q and the adventurous Vash arrive at hey. Deep Space Nine just as strange destructive forces begin threatening the space station. Wow. I am really happy to see Q again. This is great. I'm more happy to see Vash and very unhappy to see Q. Vash is great. Vash like Vash is is 10 times cooler than Q and really doesn't need Q. Like like she's so much better than him. Star Trek does the thing of sending a person with an omnipotent creature away <laughs> and we get so few check-ins with them. Yeah, where you at, Wesley? How did you come to that? How did you come to be at that wedding at the beginning of that one movie? Despite the fact that you've gone on like the ultimate ultimate nerd rumspringer with the traveler it's like they forget about these characters ben i don't understand it don't forget they about forget Vash. about their most interesting characters yeah adam do you want to find out if we're going to be drinking as much as we drank tonight on uh this next episode let's find out ben it, i i hope not but i also hope so in a weird way <laughs> Okay, I'm uh, clicking generate on the random number generator. And our number is four, so we will not be drinking. <laughs> Bullet dodged with my last slug of mezcal. And mine of I'm feeling Ricea. great right now. Well, if you want to nerd out about the pod, you can go to a number of places online. We've got the hashtag greatestgen on Twitter, which is a lot of fun. We've got a great subreddit. And a great Facebook group that is close to 3,000 members, uh, which is fucking bonkers. And uh, we really appreciate it. I was sort of uh, drunkly zoning out while you said that. You were talking about the Facebook thing, right? Yeah. Uh, You can also chat us up on Twitter using the hashtag. I already said that, Adam. I already already took care of that part. Fuck. (laughs) Here's what we should say. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for so much theme music. It is almost insane at this point. And uh, we should uh, tell people to go to MaximumFun.org slash donate if they like the show enough to support us. You know, recently we lost a a donor because we um, expressed some empathy to people who aren't straight white cisgendered males and that has really deeply impacted the bottom line <laughs> so uh, if, if you want to make you, up for that short co- shortfall uh, because you are a 
person who appreciates this program, uh, you can go to maximumfund.org slash donate. And, um, uh, we, you know, like, th- this is, uh, it is a miracle that anybody cares enough to contribute financially to the production of this program. But uh, it also, like, really depends on that at this point. Like, if, if we did not have the generous support that we do, uh, the, the thing we are doing here would not be possible. It's clear that we are hemorrhaging supporters right now <laughs> due to our very controversial stances on, on empathy and, uh, and goodness for our fellow person. So uh, with that, Adam. Oh, jeez. So with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. In another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is full of omnipotent power and a sidekick. Mm. And a very loud barking dog. That look I at, hope isn't look being at picked me. up by the mic. Look at me. Now I have the quiet dog. No shit. Jeez, Ben. The the dog's on the other bark this time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.